Yeah, it's true that as the uh, bulletin says, I teach for Moody Distance Learning online. Uh, currently, I'm teaching a seminary class on on um, on preaching, narrative preaching, it's a study of the Gospel of Luke and preaching from the Gospel of Luke. And then I'm also teaching a course called uh, Cultural Dynamics of Congregational Ministry, which is a, a great thing to work on and help people. I have people who, uh, this term is kind of interesting because I have two students in the preaching class who are, their first tongue uh, is Korean. They produced a video for me this week and I had to pay a little extra attention to try to understand them. And then uh, in the culture class I have a man who uh, immigrated to America from Romania five years ago to uh, be a pastor of a Romanian church in Korea. I mean, in Ar Phoenix, Arizona. My mind was going on something else. Phoenix, Arizona, and then I'll come back to that. There are 50,000 Romanians in the Phoenix area. <laughs> I dropped my jaw when I had him here a few months ago in another class. And then I have another fellow who, um, I'm not sure if he was born in the United States or not, but anyway, if he wasn't, he was a very young child when his parents immigrated from Slovakia. Now, the other dynamic of that is out of these students, both Koreans go to a Korean church that uses Korean only for their worship. The Romanian, they use Romanian in Phoenix, Arizona. And the uh, Slovakian is in North New York, North, upstate New York. And their services are in Russian uh, because the, that's, uh, the, the, apparently there's a whole group of people who came from persecution in Slovakia uh, during Russia's control. And so uh, there's quite a group there. Our responsive reading this morning is quite an interesting one. Uh, I think as we approach Labor Day, it's good for us to stop and say, what does the book say? You know, one of the characteristics of the Evangelical Free Church is a little question, where does it say it? Where is it in the book? And as we think about Labor Day, to think about it from a biblical perspective, not a human perspective. As we read the scriptures, uh, I will read the yellow words and you will read the blue along with me. So we read together. The responsive reading includes two verses from Titus, then the parallel passage from Ephesians, and then my sermon text, Colossians 2, 3.22-4.1. So let the, let's read responsively. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, 
whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same thing to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Amen. My sermon could be well summarized in just a simple phrase, work for God. I think that's an important thing for us to keep in mind as we stop and think about this theme this morning. School sure can be tough. Teachers expect you to know stuff and when to know stuff and how much of it to know. Uh, just when you think you're kind of on top of the pile, nah, you get another big assignment. Or uh, maybe some observe that you have Monday off because of Labor Day and they say, oh, by the way, I have an extra project for you to work on this weekend. You'll have extra time to do it. And work can be quite similar. Uh, I read a, com a comic many years ago, and it rang true to me then, and it still rings true to me today. Ziggy, who said, do a little more each day, and pretty soon the boss will expect it. And that's the pressures that we face in work today. The hourly worker is pressured to do quality work at a rapid pace so that we can compete on the worldwide market. There's the pressures of salaried people who discover that there's no such thing as overtime or sometimes not even comp time. Salaried simply means you get to work weekends and nights and perhaps even some holidays. And the word thanks, or we appreciate it, seems so seldom that we hear such terminology. Teachers use red marks to indicate what we have done wrong, and uh, that's quite interesting to me. When we had a Christian school in Pontiac, I, I told the teachers, don't grade with red, grade with the green, because when you get the paper back, you don't notice that you did 24 math problems right. Your eyes focus on that one that has the big red check mark or X or circle, and that's where you focus. And you're not in the workplace. I think it's quite similar in this. A person can do their job well, and the customer seldom says thank you. Now, I hope that's not you, whether it's the clerk at the store or the person doing the shelving. Thanks is so easy to say, but it's seldom heard. And yet you make a mistake, and some angry customer calls up and talks to your boss, and you're in trouble. 
quite the pressure that is put on us. A person in a medical field can do thousands of details precisely, but they make one mistake, and they're in hot water, perhaps on the verge of being fired. Or one, to make it just a little more personal. You know, you get, bring the mail in whenever you pick up your mail, and if you're like I am, I tend to walk from the front door to the recycle bin and throw stuff away, <laughs> and then we look at what we have. But you know, if that check you were expecting in the mail on Wednesday doesn't show up Wednesday, we can be really upset with our mailman because he or she delivered it to the wrong address. Fortunately, at least in our neighborhood, neighbors bring mail back to one another. But you know, that's part of life that I think that pressures in on us. And my question is, how... Can a student or an employee keep clicking, deal with the pressures and negativism? And I think the scriptures are very plain and give a biblical answer for us, whether we are students, employees, bosses, or volunteers. The biblical answer is simple to each of us, and it applies whatever our status in life. Colossians 3 and 4.1 gives us some very in, important challenges. Just to get an overview of the chapter, Ephesians 1.5, says, since you have been raised. Verse 5 says, put to death. Verse 12 to 14 makes an application, therefore. And then verse 17, whatever you do. Now let's look at those verses in detail. 3.1, since you then have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Then verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And then verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, look at that phrase, holy and dearly loved. Don't forget that. You are holy from God's perspective because of Jesus Christ, and you're dearly loved. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Then, verse 13, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive, how? As the Lord forgave you. Verse 14, and over all these values put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Powerful passages. And then verse 17, which is almost word for word repeated in verse 22. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Powerful commands. And then we come to our text this morning. Verse, well, we're not going to, verse 18 addresses the issues to wives. And then 
19 husbands, and 20 children, 21 fathers, 22 is work and following, and there we go, 22 to 41, and that's our text this morning, which can be summarized so easily, work for the Lord. A number of years ago, a, a couple guys wrote a very challenging book, Doug Sherman and Bill Hendricks, Dr. Howard Hendricks' son, wrote this book, Your Work Matters to God. And in part of the preface, they write these powerful words. Our aim is to encourage you to think and to act with Christ-likeness in the tough world of work. We believe that the workplace is today the most strategic arena for Christian thinking and influence. Moreover, until we become godly workers, we have little hope of becoming godly husbands, wives, parents, or church members. For unless Christ-likeness characterizes the 60 to 80% of our awake hours, it says our lives, it's our awake hours, spent at work, we are simply not living Christ-like lives. How do we do this? We want fellow students and workers, teachers and bosses, to strongly declare that we are genuine Christians and that they admire our faith as we are in the workplace. Under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, Paul breaks down this passage to simple statements about how we ought to respond in our workplace or in our school. He says, first of all, in verse 22, obey in everything. While it says slaves and masters, I think it applies to employers, employees today. Slavery was a, a cultural matter back in the first century in the Roman Empire, and that was just the way lives were lived. And he addresses it regardless of what our status is. Whether we're a student, we're a volunteer, an employer, or an employee. Short, sweet, and to the point, he uses the same word here in verse 22 as he uses in verse 20. Children, obey your parents. It's the same word, obey. Obey in everything. Now, uh, let's pause and think about that in life. As students, as you go to school, if I came to your class and talked to your teacher, would they say you're following directions? Are you doing the work that you're supposed to be doing the way they want it done? Or employees. If I came to your place of employment and asked them, are you doing the work the way they want it done, they want it done, uh, how would they answer? Would they say, well, he's always trying to do it his own way. Or she does it, but she claims, whines and complains unbelievably. Paul is talking to us as Christ followers to say, obey in everything to honor the Lord. Volunteers, I know volunteers. I've worked with volunteers for, well, more years than I want to count. Are we doing it? the way the ministry leader wants it done? Or are we always wanting to go our own way? Are we following 
and obeying in everything as we work on that. So the first thing that he says is that we are to obey in everything and to obey our earthly masters in everything. Now let's go on. And I've messed up our stuff. I love this statement from, let's back up one, from the English Standard Version. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. Pilfering is stealing. So that in everything, notice that phrase, that you and I may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Now here it is in NIV. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. And then notice this phrase, so that in every way they will make teaching about God our Savior attractive. Isn't that powerful? Make teaching about God our Savior attractive. So as we go about life, we are to make the teaching of God our Savior something that's attractive to the people around us. Quite a challenge for us to think through that we have that honorable privilege that Jesus Christ trusts you and me to represent him right in the people, to the people around us. That is sobering. You know, I think if some high-level government person would ask us to do some project for them, we would want to be sure that we did it the way they wanted it done and that when we got done, they were brought the honor that they respected. And that principle is coming right here from Scripture. Do it the way they want it. Obey in everything and to do it in a way that brings honor to our boss, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, our number one principle is obey in everything. And the second principle from verse 22 builds on that. Obey when nobody is looking. Isn't that quite a test? Work just as diligently when the supervisor is watching as when they aren't. Yeah, that's a big challenge for each of us to think through. The interesting part is Colossians and Philemon were written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. And while he was in prison, a runaway slave, Onesimus, found him in Rome. Now, we don't know how he found him. You know, did he text him or shoot him an email? Or <laughs> it seems very preposterous to me that a person could locate somebody in Rome without all the digital communication that we have today and yet God saw to it that Onesimus met Paul and in the process he accepted Christ as his savior and so Paul is writing back to his slave owner Philemon to tell him how a man of God should treat his slave 
And just so that isn't misunderstood, he also talks about the responsibility of Onesimus and us to respond to our boss. And so he's saying, not just when somebody's looking, we are to work diligently, whether we're working while the, the boss is there or when the boss is on a week's vacation. God believes that the place where we demonstrate Christ most is not only at home, but also in the workplace. That is where we let our light shine before men so that they may see our good deeds and glorify our Father who is in heaven. So let's pause and evaluate on that a minute. I've done some substitute teaching, so I'll make a personal application here. Students, when the teacher walks out of the room or you have a substitute teacher, how do you behave? How do you work? Are you diligent? Or is that the opportunity to goof off? Employees, when your boss is not present, is the quality or quantity of your work affected? Does your conversation change? Those are penetrating questions, at least for me, to think through how do I adorn the doctrine of God, make the teaching about Christ our Savior attractive, when nobody's looking over my shoulder. Let's go to volunteers. How's your serving affected by the presence of an elder or a ministry leader or your pastor visiting while you're doing your ministry? Important questions for us to think because Christ wants us to be consistent in every aspect of life as we're living for the Lord Jesus Christ. He commands us to work when nobody's watching. Why? He is. And who's our real boss? I've had plenty of people say, oh, oh, the preacher's showing up, better clean up the language. And my answer is simple. You know, it doesn't really matter what you say in front of me. Somebody else is listening. And he's a lot more important than me. And that same kind of thing is relevant here. See, I think that working for Christ impacts when I show up for work. It impacts how long my breaks are, how long my lunch hour is. That I give 60 minutes of every hour, every day, every week for my boss. That is walking with integrity to give conscientious service to our Lord Jesus Christ. So, let's review from where we've been. First, in verse 22, obey in everything. Then secondly, obey when nobody is looking. And the final phrase says, obey with sincerity of heart. Notice the phrase. One more click but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Genuineness. The motivator is sincerity, that out of my deepest, inmost being, I want to honor Christ in whatever realm I am working, in the classroom or somewhere else. 
it's the matter that I'm doing it because of reverence for the Lord, not to get the best grade I can, not to avoid getting fired, but I want it to bring honor and glory and praise to Jesus Christ. What about the person that's a grouch and a grumble and cantankerous? Peter addresses that in 1 Peter chapter 2, and I, I like the way that he puts it. Slaves, submit to your masters with all respect. Now notice this phrase. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. I like the old King James word for the last word. It's froward. It means hard to get along with. You know, in your face and ugly. Uh, he says the Christ follower chooses to bring reverence to Christ in the way that he responds even to an obnoxious boss. And we can make that real broad too, couldn't we? To our neighbor or whoever else that we find difficult difficulty getting along with obey them to adorn the grace of God the teaching of a God so let's pause and think through where we're at obey in everything obey when nobody is looking obey with sincerity of heart and now we have a chapter break that's unfortunate and we go on to our fourth principle related to masters why should we do this? To bring honor to Christ. And I'll, I'm with you now. Principle, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. That's the principle that's governing all of this. I am a student because I'm doing it with all my heart because I'm working for Christ, not myself. Crucial to remember that. And he explains that with some reasons. You know, one, you will receive an inheritance from the Lord. Two, you are serving the Lord Christ. Three, God will balance all accounts. What a challenge for all of us. But that's what verses 24 and 25 in our passage says. You are to work for the Lord. James 1 puts it pretty straight as it relates to masters and the way that they treat their leaders. Okay, we're going to review again. Obeying everything when nobody's looking with sincerity of heart. Masters, remember you have a boss. I kind of chuckled when I read that fourth verse because I've known bosses that think they are the boss and they don't realize that there's a boss in heaven so he says interesting descriptions treat your bond servants justly and fairly knowing that you also have a master in heaven master in heaven he doesn't define justly and fairly but James approaches it in a rebuking kind of way in chapter 5. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of harvest. 
You have lived in luxury and in self-indulgence. You've fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. What strong words of rebuke James puts upon leaders who take advantage of the people working for them. The whole implication of Colossians combined with James is that the, the boss, the master, is to have compassionate concern for the people who work for him. Or if we put it in a church setting, the ministry leader has compassionate concern for the people who help the ministry leader fulfill that ministry. Concern that is be beyond getting the job done, but concern that we do it well. That's a sobering issue. Paul is saying under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, God is your boss. Don't forget that. Remember, he is the one who is watching. He is the one who is in heaven. It's quite a contrast to some situations where I've been in where a church board is discussing hiring a, another pastor. And somebody says, well, I wonder what the bottom, his bottom dollar is and what we, what we can offer him. And he'll say, yes, what are the minimum benefits we have to offer? What can we get by with? Paul is saying we need to have compassionate concern and treat our employees justly and fairly. You have a boss in heaven. Yes, I'm a teacher. I have students around the world and the United States, but I think part of my unwritten but clearly written job responsibility is to be compassionately concerned about my students. Had a young man and his wife who were expecting a baby in a few months, and when they went to the doctor about 10 days ago, they didn't find a heartbeat. I think I have a responsibility compassionately concerned about that student and his wife even though they live a long ways from here. Have a student a few terms ago that was summarily fired because the pastor's wife got mad at his wife and they said, you're out. I think I have a responsibility to have compassion for them. For a worker in Nigeria who is under a lot of work pressures I think I have responsibility to consider his pressures as it relates to his schoolwork being turned in on time. God calls us to be compassionately concerned about those over whom he has given us leadership responsibilities. See, in the name of Jesus, I call upon you to be better Christians at school and at work what would Jesus do is far broader than 9 to 12 on Sunday morning. It's a 24-7 responsibility for us to live in a Christ-honoring way. I urge you to make strong commitments to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your attitudes and your actions, your conversations at school and at work. And when you fail, which we all do, I urge you to respond quickly 
to the promptings of God's Spirit and go make it right with your fellow student, your fellow worker, or the teacher, or your boss, and demonstrate that you can be a Christ follower in asking for forgiveness and taking responsibility for what you did. Can you imagine if here in Metamora and Germantown Hills, what would happen if every Christ follower would seek to live like Christ in school and in the marketplace? Hopefully teachers and employers and fellow workers, fellow students would say, what makes you different? And we'd have the opportunity to explain that. Think of the impact on immature believers if they saw the people around us living as Christ in the marketplace. They would be challenged to change their ways and to grow. So to quote verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, I beg you, I urge you, to choose to walk in a manner that pleases Jesus Christ and honors and brings glory to the doctrine of God. Your work matters to God. Ask God to help you make his teaching attractive to people around you. In the name of Jesus and on the authority of his word, I urge you to be a person who brings honor to Jesus Christ in your work. Yes, indeed, work for the Lord.